Well, we are now two weeks into 2018. Uh, I love this time of year because you can just sense the hope and optimism in the year, uh, in the air. You know, uh, the holidays are still kind of fresh and the joy of that and the new year, nothing, hopefully nothing too bad has happened so far. And we've got our New Year's resolutions and we've kept them at least for these two weeks. And we believe that all things, but you know, of 2017 are behind us and anything is possible, at least until we get to February and then we forget about all that. But, um, you know, at least for the time being, we're filled with hope and optimism. You know, it's incredible. Uh, December 31st ends and January 1st starts just like any other day of the year, just like any other month of the year. At midnight, we transition from uh, one day to the next day, and once a month, we transition from one month to the next month. But in our minds, the transition from December 31st to January 1st is completely different than the transition from any other day or from any other month to the next month because this is how we have decided to measure time. We've decided that December is um, the last month of one year and January is the first month of the next year. And so we play a trick on ourselves, don't we? Emotionally, you know, we begin, we believe that uh, this is a big event. You know, there's something different, quant you know, qualitatively different from December 31st to January 1st. And in our, in our hearts, in our emotions, it's not just another day or another month on the calendar. There's something we think magical that happens as we transition uh, into a new year. Now, I feel that way every year. I hope you do too, that there's you know, a sense of saying goodbye to what's old and saying hello to what's new and hope and optimism and joy and old Lang Syne, whatever that means. And, um, but I, I especially feel that way this year. I don't know about you, but I especially feel that way this year. 2017 was a very difficult year for me personally. And, you know, come to think of it, I don't know anybody that said 2017 was a good year. <laughs> I don't know anybody personally, maybe you do, but I don't know anybody personally that just said to me, you know, 2017 was just the best year of my life. It seems like more so than normal, most people that I know have said, you know, I'm just kind of glad to see 2017 in. And certainly I think that's true on a corporate scale. Uh, 2017 uh, was a crazy year. I'm not sure if we have ever had so many natural disasters, either in terms of the number or in terms of the scale, uh, in recorded history. We also saw some of the worst uh, mass shootings uh, in the history of our culture, where disturbed individuals turned a gun on innocent, random people for no apparent reason whatsoever. Some of the, the worst shootings uh, ever, including the worst shooting in Las Vegas. So natural disasters, mass shootings. It was also a year in which we saw a resurgence of racism, uh, more so than we've seen in decades, not just here in America, but even globally, as we have the migrant crisis and all kinds of crazy things going on in our world and violence. And, you know, there's just things that we didn't expect were going to happen. You know, we thought it was in the past and here it comes again. And, you know, one curveball after another, it was a crazy year. But, you know, 2016 was pretty crazy when you think about it. Uh, some of you love Trump, some of you can't stand Trump, but regardless of how you feel, I think everyone would agree that Trump's election was quite a surprise. And I think everyone would agree with the whole Russian thing or whatever all that is. Uh, you know, the election cycle as a whole was surprising and confusing and unlike previous election cycles. And there were natural disasters and mass shootings in 2016. If we look back at 2015, uh, we find that the chaos and craziness of that year hit awfully close to home. Because the most renowned mass shooting of that year happened just right down the road in Charleston. Oh, and the gunman grew up 
in our backyard. And by far the most important natural disaster of that year happened right here in Columbia with the flood. So that was a crazy year too. Man, we've had a bad run of it lately. Maybe if we look further back in history, things will be better. But wait, 2018 is the 50th anniversary of one of the craziest years in the history of America. 1968, there's even, there's already a book that has come out about the 50th anniversary of 1968. Historians who study that era tell us that 1968 was the high water mark of a very uh, tumultuous time in our society that changed our culture forever. And I don't know, which of course also means that this entire decade has been the 50th anniversary of that decade for which for some reason we have so much crazy nostalgia. 50 years before that, the world was at war in what was called the Great War, the war to end all wars. But sadly, it only managed to produce a very temporary and uneasy peace that lasted just a few decades, followed by a much greater war. 50 years before that, Americans were at war with other Americans, killing each other in the Civil War. And then we entered the process in the late 1860s of Reconstruction, a process that in so many ways we see is still going on. It's also worth noting that in the 1860s, uh, an intellectual force that we're still dealing with called higher criticism uh, called into question cherished near and dear assumptions that people had taken for granted unquestioningly since the dawn of time. And some guy named Darwin wrote a book about this trip he took, and and the world's never been the same since. Well, maybe if we expand our historical scope by a factor of 10, then maybe we'll find a time when things were not quite so crazy. Well, at this point, of course, I'm going to fudge a little bit in the exactitude of the numbers, but more or less, give or take, generally speaking, Roughly 500 years ago, Constantinople fell to the Muslims, and then the printing, which shook the Western world, then the printing press was uh, developed, which even today, with all of our technology, the printing press is still one of the most revolutionary technologies in the history of the world, because now you could make copies of something without copying it by hand. Changed everything. And then, not long after that, in 1492... Columbus sailed the ocean blue. You guys get an A for the day. And not long after that, uh, the Protestant Reformation shook the world, right? And that's still, in many ways, shaking the world. 500 years before that, the church went through its first schism, its first major split. We forget that in America. We just think about the Protestant Reformation. But 500 years before that, in the year 1054, the church experienced its first great schism when it split between East and West. And a few years after that, William the Conqueror, when the world seemed to be falling apart, William the Conqueror uh, triumphed at the Battle of Hastings, and that set the stage for modern Europe. Man, what a crazy time that must have been. And 500 years before that, the Roman Empire was collapsing, and paradoxically, the power of the Bishop of Rome was rising, the modern-day papacy as we know it, and Christians were consolidating their power and figuring out what they believed at the cost of great controversy, and the Middle Ages were... What a crazy time that must have been. What a crazy world we live in. Now, I could go on, but I think you get the point. (laughs) We live in a crazy world. The past few years have been crazy, but you know what? Things have been crazy in some way, shape, or form pretty much since... Adam and Eve sinned. (laughs) Uh, In some way, shape, or form, there's always been some type of challenge. There's always been something that we as individuals are facing, that the human race is facing. There's always been a sense of brokenness, that things are not right. And we read in the Bible that things will not be right until Jesus comes back. And so, friends, we live in a crazy world. It was that way historically. 
It was that way a few years ago in recent history. It's that way today. And guess what? In some way, shape, or form, certainly sometimes they're crazier than others. You know, some years are better or worse. But there's always a sense of brokenness. There's always a sense of things not being the way they're supposed to be. This is part and parcel of living in a fallen world. It is part and parcel of the human condition. And one of the commonalities we have with our ancestors, there's so many things that have changed in our world, but one of the commonalities that we have with our ancestors is that the people of God have always needed courage for a crazy world. Courage for a crazy world. And the principles that we find in the word of God are just as effective and relevant and applicable today as they were when they were written. Which takes us to our text this morning because our text this morning is all about giving the people of God confidence and courage as they face a very crazy time. Uh, Moses, uh, of course, is still regarded as one of the greatest leaders and greatest religious figures of all time. And he had been the only leader that Israel had ever had. He was the one that led uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt, the one that God called in the, in the burning bush, the one that God met with face-to-face on Mount Sinai and entrusted with his covenant. And Moses was the man. He was incredible. But now Moses is gone. You talk about a very difficult transition in a very scary time. And now the children of Israel are going to try to take the promised land for the second time. Didn't go so well the first time. You remember, if you were here last week, Pastor Jeff talked about this, that they had tried to take the promised land before and most of the spies brought back a cowardly report and the people trembled and they didn't and so they were sent into the wilderness wondering for a long time. Well, now they've come out of that and we're going to try this thing again. You can imagine the fear, the tension, the stress, the anxiety that all of this produced. And so in this morning's text, as we transition out of the book of Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, and out of the era of Moses and into a new era of Joshua's leadership, we find that the people of God need confidence and courage for a very crazy time. Well, the first thing that I think we can learn this morning from this text is that courage does not come from denying hard truths. Courage comes in the midst of facing hard truths. Courage does not come from denying hard truths. Courage comes in the midst of facing hard truths. The text makes this principle very clear. Moses is dead. There's no sugarcoating. There's no elusive language. There's no ambiguity. It's not a slip. As a matter of fact, we are told twice, you know, once Moses, the servant of the Lord, was dead, uh, God called Joshua. And here's what he said, thus saith the Lord, My servant, Moses, is dead, as if we didn't hear it the first time. Now, you know, we all want to hear a word from God, right? Well, how'd you like that word from God? (laughs) Uh, Moses, my servant, is dead, and you're the guy I've picked to take the baton and run with it. Whoa. (laughs) Maybe we don't want a word from God. (laughs) That's that's not what we had in mind. Uh, That's a little bit scary, you see. But the text makes it clear in no uncertain terms the gravity of this situation, the text does not try, God does not try to, you know, evade or pretend it's not that bad. He makes it clear in no uncertain terms and even repeats it in case we didn't hear it the first time, Moses is dead. And then in the text, uh, God refers back to Moses three separate times, you know, uh, as if, you know, as if he wants to remind Joshua again that he's dead. Now, on the one hand, obviously the people of Israel knew that Moses is dead, Okay. Uh, you know, even before the internet, bad news traveled fast, okay? These people did not need to be told that Moses is dead. It's not like Moses was one of the nameless, faceless 
masses that you know only his family would have known that he died. Literally everybody knew that Moses was dead. They're not out there going, Moses? Hmm, Moses who? You know, I'm sorry to hear that. No, I mean, the book of Deuteronomy, God says that they have to have a 30-day period of mourning because Moses was such a great leader. So they've now mourned for 30 days. They definitely do not need to be reminded of this, and yet God reminds them of it anyway. Moses is dead. And yet, maybe they do need to be reminded of it. I don't think it's by accident that we're told this so many times in this brief passage this morning. Two explicit statements that Moses is dead and three more references back to Moses implicitly that he's gone and now you, Joshua, have got to take the baton, you see. Uh, Maybe they do need to hear it. Sometimes we need somebody that's willing to name the elephant in the middle of the room. Sometimes we need someone to name the hard truth that the rest of us know is there, but nobody has the courage to say it. Sometimes we need somebody to say what needs to be said, even though we don't want to say it. Sometimes we need somebody to point out what everybody else is thinking, but nobody has the courage to name and to own. Because courage does not come from kicking the can down the road. Courage does not come from sweeping things under the rug. Courage does not come from pretending that nothing ever happened. Courage comes from naming and owning and facing the hard realities of our life. In, our, in my man cave, I have a picture of John Wayne with one of his great quotes. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. <laughs> that says it all. That's more or less what God is saying to Joshua. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. You know, I find that problems are like cockroaches. Um, Have you ever, I know this never happens at your house, but now and again it happens at mine. Have you ever walked into the kitchen in the morning and cut the light on um, and had a cockroach look at you and say, well, good morning. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for leaving these delicious crumbs out. Although next time I would appreciate it if you would buy the name brand crackers. Um, No, of course not. You flip the lights on that cockroach, and you're like, oh, a roach, you know. Uh, Problems are like cockroaches. They do really well in the dark when nobody can see them, but when you cut the light on, they flee for their lives. And if we want to deal with the problems in our lives, if we want to have a breakthrough in 2018, we've got to cut the light on. Moses, my servant, is dead. It does not pull any punches. It does not evade or pretend that things are going to be the same as they were before. And so I find myself wondering, friends, do you have the equivalent of Moses' death in your life? Do you have the equivalent of Moses' death in your life? Do you need to do some mourning this morning? Now, it could be that you have lost a loved one. It could be in the literal sense that you have the equivalent of Moses' death. It could be that uh, a close friend or family member or a Moses figure, a mentor in your life has died and you need to process that and deal with that and face that because sometimes that can be so hard to really face. Uh, You know, I always tell families as a pastor when they'll, you know, have lost a loved one, uh, I always tell them it's a process. This is not something you're gonna deal with tomorrow, you know? Uh, There's the immediate fact of it. There's the funeral. There's the immediate aftermath of the funeral. There's all the legality after that. Then there's the whole cycle of like the first birthday, the first anniversary, the first anniversary of the death, the first holiday, right? It's a process. And somewhere along the process, some of us sometimes flail in our courage and we might need to do some mourning this morning. Uh, That resonates with me because two Of the Moses figures, two of my great mentors have gone on to be with the Lord in recent years, and I miss them very much. 
But it's also true that the equivalent of Moses' death in our life could be a traumatic event. Not just a literal physical death, but it could be that we lost a job, we went through a divorce, we had surgery, we had cancer, we just had a financial problem, whatever it is, right? I mean, we all have things going on or things currently or in the past in our lives, maybe that we've just sought to kind of keep on trucking, you know? Well, you can do that for a little bit, but eventually the time comes when we've got to process things, we've got to grieve our losses. Um... I broke this sign recently, but until recently, I had a sign in my study that said, thou shalt not apologize for crying. (laughs) Thou shalt not apologize for crying. Because I always, when people come and chat with me, never fails. They'll start crying and they'll say, I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? (laughs) There's nothing to be sorry about. You don't have to be sorry because you're crying. Okay, this is not something that we should be sorry for. This is not like we've done something wrong. There is no need for an apology. Thou shalt not be sorry for crying. Uh, I'm convinced that we never cry a single tear in our entire life that we don't need to cry. We might be crying about something other than the immediate presenting issue, but we never shed a single tear that we don't need to shed. And most of us need to shed a lot more tears than we do. Moses is dead. Do you have the equivalent of that in your life that you need to face this morning? Now, I want to be clear I do not mean to be hopeless this morning. If we've lost a loved one and they knew Christ and you know Christ, then surely we have the hope of seeing them again in heaven, right? But we won't see them again in this life, right? And we've got to really embrace that and let it sink in. If we've been through a traumatic event, I find eventually, maybe not immediately, but eventually, there's always a silver lining in the cloud. We learn something. Pastor Jeff mentioned last week that we go through a traumatic experience, and then what do you know? We're able to bless and minister to people who've been through a similar experience because we can relate in a way that other people can't, right? That's great. That's a good thing. That's a holy thing. It's a God-ordained thing. But what I'm saying is we also have to own the fact that life will never be the same again right? Life may be better, (laughs) but it will never be the same again on the other side of a death of Moses, of a a traumatic event, of a life-changing event. And so courage to face a crazy world does not come from denying reality. It comes rather from facing the hard truths of reality. Secondly, courage does not come from trying to be someone else. Rather, courage comes from being the unique person that God has called you to be. I think the best, the, the biggest success of Joshua's leadership was that he was content to be Joshua. He didn't try to be Moses. Now, I'm sure there was a part of him that probably envied Moses. He's a human being, after all. I'm sure there were times when he wished he could be Moses, uh, but he was content, generally speaking, to be Joshua. You know, I find the world is full of people who waste their whole life trying to be somebody else instead of just embracing who God has made them and having the courage to be comfortable in our own skin. If we don't have the courage to be comfortable in our own skin, how can we possibly have the courage to face a crazy world with the truth of Christ, you see? Uh, One of the Moses figures in my life uh, said something years ago that I've I've never forgotten. He said, when you get to heaven, God will not ask you, why weren't you (laughs) so-and-so? But he might very well ask you, why weren't you you? Why weren't you the unique person that I called and created you only to be? I firmly believe that. I've lived with that through the years. You know, how am I not myself? And am I I comfortable in my own skin? Am I truly just seeking to be who God has created me to be and to offer to the kingdom of God what uh, God has created me to offer? Now, you might think, well, Joshua had it easy. Uh, You know, he was Joshua. Well, you know, I I really think that we do uh, the biblical heroes a great disservice by thinking that way. 
I think we need to read ourselves into the text and allow ourselves to, you know, try to put their skin on for a minute and walk them out in their shoes and ask, what would that have been like? Well, I'm going to tell you, I think it was real tough to be Joshua. I don't want to be Joshua. I mean, you talk about a tough leadership transition. Can you imagine trying to fill Moses' shoes? Uh, and, and you talk about the potential for bitterness and frustration. I mean, Joshua was one of only two spies, you know, that brought back the positive report on the promised land. And now, you know, Pastor Jeff alluded to this last week. Sometimes we're in a wilderness wandering season that's not our fault. Well, Joshua's been doing that for 40 years, waiting on that generation to die off. And now Moses, his hero, is that. I mean, that's tough, man. You know, and that's a tough calling that God has placed on his life. So we shouldn't be thinking to ourselves. We shouldn't indulge in thinking, well, that's easy for you to say because, you know, he was Joshua and he went down in history. Well, he didn't know he was going to go down in history. He was probably scared to death (laughs) of what he was facing and of the uh, anxiety and the fear of leading this very difficult, stiff-necked people, right, that had driven Moses so crazy he didn't get to enter the promised land, this stiff-necked people that had already failed to do this once. It's tough being Joshua. But if we're going to have courage to face a crazy world, we've got to learn to be ourselves instead of wasting our life trying to be somebody else. The third thing, and this is a related point, is that courage comes from calling. Courage and calling go hand in hand. When we know we are fulfilling the unique calling that God has placed on our life, there's a sense of courage and boldness that we just simply don't have otherwise. Let's look at verse five together. Here's what it says. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And so Joshua had a sense of courage that would not have been available otherwise because he knew he was fulfilling the unique calling on his life. Uh, You know, on Friday, I was talking with a family that had just dealt with a very tragic death. And before I called them, I was speaking with someone who knew them, you know, getting some information. And she said, you have the hardest job in the world. Well, not really. Uh, You know, I think a lot of people have harder jobs than me. I mean, you know, there's there's sort of that propaganda. Well, you know, I think a lot of people have harder jobs than me. I think about the military, you know, and the way they face death. I don't know how they do that, but that's their calling, right? I don't feel called to that, right? Uh, You know, you think about some of the great leaders, and I don't know how they do what they do, but somehow or another they do it because they've got that sense of calling, right? And then yesterday, um, I don't want to share this, but I, I will because it bears out the point. Yesterday, I was talking to a member of that family, and he said, man, I just can't believe you got to preach tomorrow. Um, you know, I just couldn't handle that if I had to preach. And I said, well, thank you. Um, I haven't written my sermon yet, but I've done it once or twice, so I reckon it'll go all right. Uh, <laughs> you see, there's a sense of calling. There's a sense of courage that comes when we know we're fulfilling our calling, and it emboldens us to do other things that, that others wouldn't do, you see, or couldn't do. And so we need to be in touch with that. What is the calling that God has placed uniquely on our life? How can we be the best person, the best us, (laughs) the best me uh, that God has called us to be? And then the fourth thing I think we can learn is that courage for a crazy world comes from standing on the promises of God. Courage for a crazy world comes from knowing the promises of God, and ordering our life accordingly, responding accordingly. Let's look at verse 6 together. It says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. You see, God reiterates this promise. Uh, By the way, Joshua, this is not just something I thought up. This is not just something we're going to try. I have made a promise to their forefathers. And even though there's been multiple delays, that promise still stands. And you're the guy that I'm going to use, my human instrument, 
to fulfill that promise. And so, uh, although it certainly still was not easy, Joshua had a courage and a confidence that he would not have had otherwise because he was standing on the promises of God. Now, in a minute, we'll see that one of the main themes of this text is on knowing the word of God. And I know Pastor Jeff touched on that last week too, that we need to be immersing ourselves in the word of God And I would say uh, that's very, very relevant here because if we're not immersing ourselves in the word of God, if we don't know the word of God, then we won't know the promises of God and we won't know what we're standing on, you see. Uh, If we don't know the word of God, how can we know the promises of God and then we cannot have the courage that can only come from knowing that we're hopefully living our lives in accordance with, in response to the promises of God. Now, you see, if if we're not immersed in the word of God, We'll just be sitting on the premises, not standing on the promises. And you know, we've got too many Christians in America that are sitting on the premises, you know, that come to church. But the the hymn doesn't say, sitting on the premises of Christ my King, sitting on the premises of church. No, it says, I'm standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail by the living word of God, I shall prevail. And courage comes from knowing the promises of God and living our lives accordingly. Now, in verses seven and eight, we find that courage comes from holiness because holiness is a matter of keeping the law, keeping the word of God. Let's read verses seven and eight together. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. You see, courage comes from holiness. Now, if, if we seek to be people of God, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean we'll always know what to do. Uh, it doesn't make us immune to mistakes. I mean, there's certainly been plenty of times in my life that I was confident I was right, and I looked back later and thought, you know, I really wasn't right, you know. Or I, I thought I was hearing the voice of God, but, you know, uh, I, I, you know I think I was wrong, you see. Uh, but, you know, there's a certain courage and confidence that comes from having a clean conscience before God from knowing that I'm doing all that I can to put myself in a position to hear from God, to know the will of God, to do the right thing, and to habitually do the right thing so that when my time of testing comes, I'm ready and I'm prepared, right? Doesn't mean we're gonna be perfect, but there is a sense of confidence at a very gut level, self-confidence and courage to face the challenges of life and the craziness of the world that comes from knowing that we're in touch with the things of God and immersing ourselves in the word of God and doing our very best to know and follow hard after God, from doing our very best to be obedient to the calling of God. One of the great Moses figures in my life, uh, the late great Don Demaray, went home to be with the Lord a couple years ago. He was fond of remarking, if you break the laws of God, they'll break you. If you break the laws of God, they'll break you. And I think that really sums up these verses. That's more or less what God is trying to say to Joshua and to the Israelites. That when you come into the promised land, don't forget what got you there. Don't forget the covenant. Don't forget who your God is. Don't forget who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to keep that before you, it's going to take intentional effort. 
It's not going to just happen by accident. It's going to be because you meditate on this law day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. We've got to be immersing ourselves in the word of God. By the way, here's a shameless advertisement. I interrupt this sermon for a shameless advertisement. Um, I'm gonna be offering a seminar on how you too can interpret and apply the word of God uh, this Friday night and Saturday. Uh, I do need a head count because we've got food. So if you're coming, I need to know soon, but it's not too late to sign up. Courage and confidence comes from preparation. That's one of the implications, I think, of these verses. It comes from having a habit of being the type of person who does the right thing. So that when we're tempted or when we're challenged or when we're not sure, our natural inclinations will be guiding us correctly and we'll have the emotional and mental and spiritual and physical capacity and resources to do the right thing. But if we're not in the habit of doing the right thing, if we're in the habit of being a coward, then we're probably not gonna suddenly miraculously have courage when we're called upon to take a stand or when we really face a tough temptation or if we've allowed ourselves a little more latitude than we should in our moral standards and we've allowed ourselves to indulge in this little sin because we think we've got the rest of it covered and we're okay and a temptation comes up over in this area of our life, guess what? We won't be strong enough to stand against it. Even though the fantasy happened in this area of our life, I have found friends that a chink in the armor is a chink in the armor is a chink in the armor. <laughs> and if there's a weak spot in our armor, Satan will find it. And so having the courage to do the right thing comes from being the type of person who is prepared and who habitually does the right thing. An incredible thing happened a couple weeks ago, a thing that will go down in history. A true freshman quarterback won the national championship. A true freshman left-handed quarterback from Hawaii with an unpronounceable name won the national championship. It was an incredible thing. A true freshman quarterback from Hawaii with an unpronounceable name who had not taken any meaningful snaps all year. It wasn't as if he had been playing. It wasn't as if they had been rotating. I mean, not only had I never heard of the guy, I don't think some of his teammates had heard of the guy. And I don't know. I don't have a clue how the commentators knew how to pronounce that name, Tua Tuovola. But I'll tell you this, that name is etched in the memorials of college football history. He became a living legend. I mean, a true freshman, left-handed quarterback, unpronounceable name from Hawaii, goes in to start the second half over a guy that was 25-2 and two as a starter and the star of the team wasn't playing well. They're down 13 to nothing over what appears to be a superior opponent and he leads them to victory on a long pass in overtime. Unbelievable. That's the sort of thing fairy tales are made of, isn't it? Yeah, but you see, when Nick, when Nick Saban is your fairy godfather, anything can happen. <laughs> Bibbly bobbly boo or whatever, right? <clears throat> you never know what's gonna happen. Okay. Now here's my point. Here's my point. You know why Tua Tuavola was prepared to respond with such courage and confidence and play well in such an incredibly high stress situation? Because he spent his whole life preparing for that moment. He spent his whole life doing the right thing, working on his mechanics, understanding the offense, working with his timing with his receivers, spent time in the weight room, spent time running, spent time working on his footwork. You see, he had studied film. He had been doing the right thing all along. And so when his hour of testing came, he was in a position to succeed. 
And you see, friends, if we want to have courage to face a crazy world, we've got to be in the process of doing the right thing. We can't wait until that moment comes and then try to do the right thing. We can't just suddenly be the type of person that takes a stand for God. We can't suddenly be the type of person, well, you know, I don't know the answer to that because I'm just sitting on the premises, but give me about 20 years and I'll get back to you. No, we've got to be the type of person that's immersed in the word of God and in the things of God that is ready to give an account, that is ready to take a stand for what's right, that is ready not to fall into temptation, but to stand for the things of God when the chips are down. But now, friends, as fabulous as all of that is, uh, none of it matters if we don't cross the Jordan. None of it matters if we don't cross the Jordan. I mean, it's wonderful that Joshua is prepared to be the best Joshua that he can be. It's wonderful that they've faced the reality of Moses' death and that God has placed this calling on Joshua's life and they're going to stand on the promise that God has given them and they know to study the word and that's great and be people of the law. But you know what? None of that really matters if they stay on the wrong side of the Jordan. The purpose of all of that is so they can cross the Jordan <laughs> and do what God is calling them to do now. The purpose of all that is so that when they cross the Jordan, they'll be successful. Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, has a fabulous sermon on this text. And he says, you know what's wrong with so many churches? We've got too many Christians that are content to settle on the wrong side of the Jordan instead of crossing it. And you see, I, you know, I mean, everything we do here at church is wonderful, But if all it does is just make you comfortable on this side of the Jordan, then that's not very good. That's not fulfilling the purposes of God. The purpose of all this is so that we'll cross the Jordan. We've uh, entitled this sermon series, Breakthrough. And friends, if we want a breakthrough in 2018 or in any other year, we're going to have to cross the Jordan. (laughs) It's not enough for us just to settle, just for good enough just for a gospel of sin management, just to be okay, just to be a little bit better than we used to be. No, we've got to be crossing the Jordan. And I find, friends, that crossing the Jordan is a dynamic process. It's not a one-time process. It's not enough that, you know, once upon a time, I broke this addiction so I don't have to deal with this addiction, right? It's not enough that once upon a time, uh, I repented and healed this relationship so I don't need to deal with this relationship. No, it's a dynamic process where whatever the Jordan is in our life, whatever the boundary is that God is calling us to cross, we need to cross it and take the land in our lives that Jesus died so that we'd be able to take. Now, I don't know what the Jordan is in your life, but I find that it's different in every person's life. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it's a habitual sin. Uh, Maybe it's a relationship that needs healing. Um, Maybe it's, you know, a hang-up, a personal habit. Who knows what it is, friends? But if we're going to have a breakthrough in 2018, it's not enough for us just to know these things. It's not enough for us just to be sitting on the premises. It's not enough just for us to let Joshua or whoever do the work. We've actually got to be crossing the Jordan in our life. We've got to actually put our feet in the water and trust that God is going to part it because we're going behind him. We've got to be willing to stand and do what God is calling us to do, no matter what it takes. That's where breakthrough comes through, comes from. And when we cross that Jordan and we get that breakthrough, then maybe God will bring us into a season of rest. But before you know it, there'll be another Jordan. And may it be the case, friends, that our attitudes 
And the responsiveness of our hearts and souls would always be ready. Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to cross whatever Jordan you call me to cross. I'm ready to take whatever land you want me to take. I want to live for all that you died for. One of the commentaries that I looked at this week pointed out that these nine verses are a preamble to the whole book of Joshua. May it be the case, friends, that they would be a preamble to our life also.